So let us pray. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. And so let us confess our sins to God. Most merciful God, we have sinned in thought, word and deed and in what, what we have left undone. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. And God our Father, who forgives all who truly repent, have mercy on you, pardon and deliver you from all your sins, confirm and strengthen you in all goodness, and keep you in eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, let's fix our eyes on Jesus this morning as we uh, open our time together. Um, Lord, take our hearts, our minds, take our wills, and help us to look to you in all that we are. Amen. Our reading this morning comes from John chapter 6, verses 1 to 7, and it says this. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up onto the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up, he saw a great crowd coming towards him. And he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Thanks be to God for our reading this morning. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, as we delve deeper into today's character of your disciple Philip, open up your word to us by the power of your Holy Spirit and bless all of those who will be preaching your word near and far this week. Amen. Philip was from Bethsaida, the same place that Andrew and uh, his brother Peter came from and it is most likely that they all grew up together. They were all from the same area, and yes, they were all fishermen. We first meet Philip uh, it, the day after Jesus had called Andrew, uh, John and Peter. And in my previous sermons, I said that Jesus had met the three 
in the wilderness when they were sitting at the feet of John the Baptist and he had pointed the Messiah out to them and it was at this stage that they left John the Baptist to follow Jesus. And our first introduction comes in John's Gospel, John 1, and it says this, The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. So this indicates that Philip was also in the wilderness, and Jesus sought him out and invited him to join the other disciples. Philip had a seeking heart. Look at what he says to Nathaniel. We have found the, the one Moses wrote about in the law, about the one the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He must have been surprised to find that the Messiah was a carpenter's son. And that is why Nathaniel uh, said what he did, and he said, Nazareth can anything good come out of there but Philip was undaunted and he said come come and see he seemed so laid back about the whole thing it reminded me of the story of Simeon and he'd waited to see the Lord he knew his Old Testament scripture and the promises and he was gladly readily to accept that Jesus was the Messiah and as, as we look a little bit deeper you might find that his belief in Jesus being the Messiah it doesn't quite seem to fit in uh, with his rather hesitant black and white facts and figures character that we will discover. Philip isn't mentioned in Matthew, Mark or Luke and so the only glimpse we get of him is in John's Gospel and like I said a moment ago he is often paired with Nathaniel who is also known as Bartholomew I wish they would just keep to one name, but it doesn't happen. He was the sort of person who was all about facts and figures, and he liked to do everything by the book. Having read that bit of scripture, it seems like Philip was something of a church treasurer. He'd done a quick calculation and he'd looked at the number of people who were gathering to hear Jesus and then he said we haven't got enough money to feed all these people one Bible version uh, says that they were talking about 200 denarii and a denarii is worth about a day's pay now with no disrespect to church treasurers Philip seemed to find reasons why things couldn't be done rather than looking at the big picture. Jesus was actually testing him. He wasn't testing him to find out what he was thinking because he already knew 
and he wasn't asking him for a plan because Jesus already knew what he was going to do. But he was testing Philip so that Philip would reveal his own character. That's why Jesus turned to Philip and asked, how do you propose that we feed all these people? Philip had already begun counting heads when the crowd started moving in. He was already doing estimates. It was late in the day and this was a huge crowd and they were going to be hungry. Remember that they didn't have fast food takeaways back in the day. So when Jesus asked the question, Philip already had his calculations prepared. 200 denarii was not going to be enough money to buy bread to even give all these people one tiny bite of food. Instead of thinking, wow, this is great. Jesus is going to talk to all of this all of these people to this massive crowd but all that pessimistic Philip could see was the impossibility of the situation what was he missing here after all he'd been with Jesus when Jesus had turned water into wine He'd seen numerous times Jesus had healed the sick. But when he saw that great big crowd, he began to feel overwhelmed by the impossible. He lapsed into the materialistic way of thinking. And when Jesus tested his faith, he responded with unbelief and he said, it can't be done. Philip was obsessed with mundane matters and he was overwhelmed by the impossibility of what was happening, the immediate problem. He was too down to earth to be adventurous and also he was very good at maths. The reality of this situation clouded his faith. He was so obsessed with this that he was oblivious to any possibilities that lay in Jesus's power. Here he was, down to earth, facts and figure man, he'd done all his calculations and he just didn't see any other opportunity. Why didn't he say, Lord, if you want to feed them, then get on with it. I'm just going to watch how you're going to do it. Uh, I've seen you turn water into wine and feed your children manna in the wilderness. Um, so, so just get on with it. I, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll tell them all to form an orderly queue. But he didn't. He had simply forgotten the power that Jesus had. 
Philip lost the opportunity to see the reward of faith. As Jesus taught the disciples, if you have faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from there to here and it will move. Nothing is impossible for you. We get another insight into Philip's character in John chapter 12 and it says this, now there were some Greeks who uh, among them who went to worship at the feast and they came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee with a request, sir they said, we would like to see Jesus. So Philip went to tell Andrew and Andrew went and told Jesus. Here again he could have stepped out in his faith. He could have just gone quickly and done it, but he didn't. He'd missed that opportunity. These were Greek people who were interested in seeing Jesus. They wanted to meet him. And I asked myself the question, why did they ask Philip? Well, Philip is a Greek name. And so maybe that's what the, the introduction uh, was about. But also, um, maybe they saw Philip as being like uh, the administrator of the group. And the protocol thing would be to ask him uh, to, to make the uh, arrangements for the visit but we don't know, we're not sure of if Philip was actually an administrator or whether that was just something that just seemed to happen uh, by accident as it were. And Philip being the sort of guy that he is and his head's all full of policies and procedures, it was probably running round in his head, is this the right thing to do, should I do it, shouldn't I do it, or I'll have to check it up in my manual of meeting people if it's okay for me to do this. He didn't have a clue. I don't think they were asking anything too complex, but Philip, he was so unsure of what to do with them. So, Jesus at one time had said to the to the disciples do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter the city of the Samaritans but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel another time Jesus said I wasn't sent to accept to the lost sheep of the house of Israel was that meant to prohibit Gentiles ever being introduced to Jesus? I don't think so. Look at Romans chapter 2. It says this, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Greeks and Gentiles were included amongst those whom, to whom he ministered. Jesus had already revealed 
that he was the Messiah to the woman at the well. It's a shame that Philip didn't appreciate the general rule of thumb and there was no protocol for introducing the Greeks to Jesus. And he took them to Andrew. Now you might remember that when I preached about Andrew, I said that he was the disciple who brought people to Jesus, the introduction for me. Well, we get our final glimpse of Philip in the upper room at the Last Supper. And this was the last time that all the 12 disciples were together. Jesus had done their formal training, but their faith was still weak. And Jesus urged them not to be troubled. And he said the uh, bit, um, do, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. In my father's house there are many rooms and I'm going to ahead to make a place for you. And I'll come back and I'll take you to where I'm going. And he says, you know the way to, to the place that I'm going. And Thomas said, didn't he? He said, Lord, how do we know where you're going? How can we know the way? And Jesus answered him and he said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you knew me, you would know my Father as well. So from now on, you do know him because you have seen him. Now this is the crunch time. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, Philip, don't you know me? Even after I've been with you all this time, Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me. Show us the Father. Philip, how could you say such a thing? What had Jesus just told you? This is so sad because Philip had got to this point. He had begun to follow Jesus. He'd heard him teach and he'd witnessed miracles. He'd been there when Jesus had cast out demons. And he spent hours in Jesus's company. And if he had truly known him, he would have known the Father. How could someone who was so enthusiastic at the very start end up 
with having such little faith. Where had he been during the last three years? Jesus' reply was, Believe in me when I say I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me anything in my name and I will do it. That word, believe. Philip had already embraced Jesus as the Messiah and was urging him to take his faith to a logical conclusion. For three years, he'd looked into the face of God and he was still totally clueless. He was so absorbed in the day-to-day -day running and the administration that he'd actually lost sight of who Jesus was. Like the other disciples, it was a man of limited ability. He had a weak faith, he was pessimistic, he was analytical, sceptical, and everything he did was by the book. Facts and figures filled his mind, and so he was unable to grasp the, the bigger picture. He was slow to understand, he was slow to trust, he was slow to see beyond the immediate situation. What did Jesus see in him? Why did he pick him as one of his disciples? Well, it proves the point that Jesus can do remarkable things with ordinary people. Remember that God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and he chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Philip went on to become one of the founders of the church and he spread the good news. And he was stoned to death eight years after James uh, was martyred. So that's all I can tell you about Philip. So let's just pray. Lord, we believe, yet at times we can be like Philip and get too wrapped up in the material things of life, too absorbed in church administration, budget sheets, policies, etc. But we, we know they are important and the church wouldn't run efficiently without them. And we give thanks for our church office worker and our church trustees and our treasurer. But we need time to find to be still and be totally in your presence. 
So stretch our hearts and minds so that we can see the bigger picture. Open our ears so that we can listen to you and teach us to walk in faith so that we are not afraid to go deeper and to follow you. Amen. Lord Jesus, you are the light of the world. Wherever life seems dark or hopeless, may your love bring a new dawn. You are the shepherd of the sheep and wherever people feel lost, searching for guidance and direction, may your love lead them forward. You are the living water the true vine, the Prince of Peace, the Lamb of the world, the Bread of Life, the Man of Sorrows. Lord, we know you by so many names, but Jesus, you are Lord of all. And so we pray that wherever there is hurt and suffering, that you will bring healing we bring before you in our prayers those who are known to us personally and those who we don't know. We pray for those with heavy hearts who are mourning the loss of loved ones, that you will bring comfort. Lord, wherever people serve you and are working in your kingdom, may your love flow in and through them. Amen. And we say together the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples as we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. So as we close our time this morning, let's, let's pray. Loving Father, help us to um, be those who really, really believe in you. Help us to look beyond the limitations and help us to be those who perhaps yes, to appreciate the visible difficulties, but also to be those who, who know you, who trust you, and those who look to you to overcome. So Father God, in all of our deliberations and our prayers, may our faith rest in you alone. Amen. And so may we go with the blessing of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, resting and abiding with us now and forevermore. Amen.